You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Thank you, Mabel, for that word to welcome, welcome it all. Jesus was welcoming the thief next to him on the cross who was, who was saying those words, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So we are, we are getting into the communal disciplines, um, the communal spiritual disciplines. We've been looking at spiritual disciplines this Lenten season and um, trying to see them as paths, as doorways to liberation, to freedom as invitations from God um, to work through that sin that Mabel was talking about, those barriers, those hang-ups we have, those, those ways we get kind of in bondage to ourselves and our fears. The spiritual disciplines can give us a, a, way, a way out and a way through. As we, so we're, we're, we're trying to learn to keep practicing. And um, we started with really internal ones, uh, I think they're all they're all internal and and communal, but we're really getting into the communal ones here at the end of Lent, um, just in time for Holy Week. I think where it it gets real, the opportunity gets real intense in a good way um, to see Jesus, to see really what He's all about, um, the depth of His kindness, and how that can transform us. The discipline of confession that we'll look at today is also really transformative. Um, I think, unfortunately, it's been made kind of ridiculous and hilarious in a lot of movies. I was thinking today about all the movie scenes that take place in in a confessional booth, and, and like the list is like crazy long. Um, let me. I, I I thought of a couple, but then tell me if you can think of more. Um, Moonstruck, Boondock Saints, Me, Myself, and Irene, Sin City, Legend of Zorro, Sopranos, of course, The Godfather, Father Stew, and The League of Our Own. Can you think of other other mo- confessional movie scenes? Nice. <laughs> yes. Other movies that have confessional scenes. I was gonna play this one for you, but it's so it's so quick. I can just tell you about it. I don't. I don't you might remember um, Madonna. May you know in a league of our own goes into the booth and it, it is I think you know giving the priest kind of a story about her steamy exploits and. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell says something like, it's the second time that priest dropped his Bible listening to May, and he comes out. So then May walks out, and the priest like, kind of like follows her out with his eyes. Um, so it's, it's hard to kind of learn from Hollywood what the, the spiritual discipline of confession is really all about. I'm not sure that they, um, they always get it for us. 
And my dad was even telling me last week that as a kid, he, he tried to go to confession. One, one time that he tried to go to confession, he was late. Like it was like after the hours that it was being offered. And um, a nun actually, I think he was probably doing something he shouldn't have been, like climbing a fence or something, but a nun actually like scratched his face because he like, I, I, don't, I don't know what he was doing. I didn't get the whole story, but he wasn't doing it right. Um, so apparently we've got, we've got these rules and traditions of, around confession that um, might be a little confusing. So we wanna, we wanna get to the heart of it here. And one of the ways that has helped me understand the power of confession over the years is this book series. Has anybody read the Hawk and the Dove series by Penelope, Penelope Wilcock? Yes. I love this series. Um, it sounds like it would be really boring because it's about a group of monks, like medieval monks in a monastery. Um, but they, all, they go through all these real life struggles, real human struggles in just trying to love each other and follow Jesus. And um, one of the things they do that showed me a different, like how confession could be kind of transformative in community in real life is they, um, when they offended each other, they tried to be conscious of it. And... Um, if they were, the, the, the offender would get down on one knee, wherever they were, and ask for forgiveness. And the person who was offended got to kind of consider that. Sometimes they would talk about it more. But ultimately, the offended person would usually say, brother, God forgives you, and so do I. And it was, and it, and it, you know, and so instead of, like, resentments, you know, getting like dug in and um, grudges going on for years. They tried to like work stuff out in the moment. I'm sure, you know, it wasn't a perfect process, but it seemed like a good um, effort to me. Because Jesus says we have the authority to forgive each other like that. We actually have authority. To, Jesus has given us authority to forgive. And he even said that when we don't, people people can carry around that feeling of not being forgiven. Like we actually have the power to communicate to others that they are forgiven by God. And so we don't have to just confess to God himself, although that's a great way to do it. We can actually um, listen to each other's confessions if we are so honored to be confess to, or we could confess to one of our siblings. Um, and that can be really freeing. And of course, you see this, we see this wisdom in movements across our culture. You know, how naming our struggles and our problems, um, whether it's to a therapist or a friend or to a member of a 12-step community, can loosen the grip, you know, loosen the bonds of our of, that our struggles have on us. They say that one, one phrase I'm always hearing is we are only as sick as our secrets. And so confession can be really um, powerful. There's lots of wisdom in scripture about confession too. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins to one another so that you'll be healed. 
Whoever conceals their sins doesn't prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces finds mercy. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So you can see here that the point of confession is not the, you know, scandal, um, or gossip, or shame, or judgment. I don't know what's going on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everybody looks worried. I think we're okay. <laughs> Good to know. Um, so the point of confession is, is mercy. It's finding mercy and forgiveness and freedom from our guilt. Um, not not all the things that we probably fear, uh, the judgment that will come upon us if people see, or see the depth of our real struggle. Although I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I hope we never in our church like, like coerce anybody to kind of confess. We're never going to do that. So you can, just take a, you can just take a sigh of relief because you will never be asked um, to do that. I did, I did see that in a church I was in growing up and it was like really damaging for somebody to have to stand up in front of everybody and like name, um, name their sin. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. One of the most powerful um, stories of forgiveness I heard recently was of this elementary school principal in York, Pennsylvania, um, who about 20 years ago, you might remember this story if you're an old Gen Xer like me or older, but this, um, this elementary school principal um, responded to a man who came into the school and the kindergarten class with a machete. And she responded, she was just, she's just a really little person, I think shorter than me, but she responded by moving toward this guy and um, basically embraced him. Like she was trying to hug him. And even though it, and she did, and she contained him even though it, like she, she her arms and her hands got really um, cut up. She was able to contain him and nobody died. And later when the judge asked her why she responded that way, she said that this man looked like he needed a hug. Can you imagine? She embraced all that pain and violence instead of letting it spread. And I think that's what really happens or can happen in confession, that the pain is received and known and soothed by a higher power. So the guy in that story was was obviously presenting a really dramatic cry for help. But sometimes we who aren't wearing our pain uh, on the outside like that, I think sometimes we don't know what to confess. Um, although I'm sure we, we all feel terrible about things all the time. I know I'm, like, I'm recovering from this all the time. Um, we can sense that we're affected and complicit in systems of oppression like, that's why we have this netting around the room. We are, 
you know, the United States makes up 5% of the world's population and we consume a quarter of the world's resources. So we're, we're complicit in all, in all this overconsumption, racism, greed, all, all the, um, this massive inequity. Um, the sins that we're, the sins that we do, the sins that we're born into, the sins of not doing the good things that we could do sometimes, it's insidious and it's kind of overwhelming if we, if we really think about um, our sin and the pain of the world. And so I think, I think it's helpful to ask God, well, what, what's, what's mine to confess? You know, what do I need to confess to really be free? Where do I, where could I have that freedom um, in my life, God, and to experience forgiveness? This, past, this pastor that um, I learned from wasn't sure either. He, he was kind of overwhelmed by it one year, and so he decided to um, take a few days during Lent and just write down, like, what... Um, to divide his life up into three sections. All, all he knew, all he really knew was that he wanted more... He wanted God to have more like access to him in his life. He wanted, he wanted more freedom, um, and he wanted God to have more of him. And but he didn't know like specifically what to name, and so he wrote down childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. And he took, he took whatever you know he had on each of three days. And he just asked God to kind of show him, like, what was in there during those times, too. That, that any, like, any healing or any, anything he could ask, any healing he needed or any forgiveness he could ask for, or maybe both. And he just decided he would write down whatever came to mind and not, like, judge it too much. And so he did that. He made this long list as things were revealed to him. And then he took that, that, those pieces of paper to a trusted friend after those three days, and he read them to his friend. And um, his friend didn't say anything, listened well, but instead of saying anything, just ripped up the papers like in tiny pieces at the end to communicate to him that he was forgiven by God and that he was in this process of healing. And he didn't feel like a huge epic change in his life right away. It was kind of an act of obedience for him. But his friend told him later that listening to his confession helped him to finally talk to somebody about a huge struggle that was kind of killing him internally. And so freedom begets freedom in ways that we might not expect. This is kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a jump, but I was thinking about it with our cell this week. Um, if we don't know what to confess, if you feel kind of overwhelmed by the problems of the world and just like you're trying to survive, like we all do sometimes, um, one thing that helps me kind of hone in on my own struggles and need for healing is Thomas Keating 
Thomas Keating uh, was this monk who did a lot on centering prayer. And he wrote about how we, we develop a false self um, through trauma that we experience early on in life. And we unconsciously create for ourselves then an, a, a program for happiness that we are unconsciously committed to and we try to follow. And it's usually around either power and control, affection and esteem, security and survival, whichever one of those like you had the least of early on in life, you probably created some kind of unconscious program to try to get it. And um, that's normal. That's, that's what we do to survive. But the, the only problem is that our programs don't really deliver right? They don't really get, give us either the power and control, the affection, or the security that we're looking for. Instead, they get us kind of addicted and hung up and um, basically harming ourselves and other people in this endless cycle to be, you know, to be healed and to be whole. And so the invitation that, that Thomas Keating is, is presenting is through through prayer and meditation and a life in community to kind of identify what, our, what, what your program is um, and offer that, let, let God in on that process for healing. So maybe that's one um, avenue you could take this, this at the end of this Lent and into Holy Week um, if you're looking for a way to kind of make it more real. For you, the freedom and the transformation you're going for. Back to my story about the, the pastor friend. If someone gives you the honor of confessing their sins to you, which I hope that we, I hope that we, I think we're still kind of coming out of COVID and of course COVID is not over. And so we're still developing trust and safety with one another and getting to know each other. But as we do that, I hope we can develop more of this safety where, where at least the, you know, in friendships, the, op the option might be there. And if someone does give you the honor of confessing to you, receive it seriously and don't, don't gossip about it. Hey guys, come on in. Um, acknowledge the sorrow and the courage that it took um, your friend to, to make that difficult step and take the opportunity to communicate to them that they are forgiven by God. That's the, that's the great honor that you've been given. You know, God, God went to all this trouble um, on the cross to communicate the depth of God's desire to forgive and free us fully. So we can offer that to each other. Ask what kind of support your friend might be willing to, to receive or might be looking for um, to really walk in the newness of life that they're going for. You know, when we have faced our own sin, and of course that's an ongoing process, it makes us better friends to confess to because we're not shocked by anything we hear. If we know the depth of our own struggle, 
We're not shocked by what we might hear from our friends. We don't feel better than anyone else because we know the depth of our struggle and how much God and others have forgiven us. This really is a common project of freedom that we're working on. And I think we're a lot better off when we can see ourselves clearly as, as like the beloved community of imperfect people that we are, not, not the shiny, happy, sanitized version that we, that we might prefer. We invite a powerful flow of grace into our lives when, when we can experience God's forgiveness, maybe even especially through each other. And I think the discipline of confession can help us get, get to that realness. So let's move into the discipline of worship. I think worship can really help us stay in this reality that God is present um, to us. Like the risen Christ, wounds and all, right here in our midst. Worship is a way to touch reality. Um, I didn't mean to put that up yet. It's a way to touch reality, to experience life at its fullest, where God is seeking and drawing and wooing us. And we're, we're responding to that love and worship. We don't have to initiate. God's already stepping out to say, here I am. And there's no right or wrong way to worship. Um, contrary to what uh, you might have heard before, um, in a religious community or otherwise, I think churches have been way too concerned about like the right way to worship and the wrong way. Um, the most crucial, the only thing needed really is the object of our worship, who is God himself, herself. And the more we know God, the more we know the person of Jesus and how his spirit has been moving in our lives, the more awe and gratitude we'll have to bring. Who is like you among what we hope in? I was, I was meditating on the, the, the first line of Ben's song um, that he wrote. What a, what a great question to ask in worship. Who is like you? No one, God. There's also something curious uh, that I noticed in the Old Testament this week regarding worship. Um, the primary function of the, of the Levitical priests was, um, Ezekiel wrote it, the prophet Ezekiel wrote it down, wrote down God as saying, um, to come near to me, to minister to me. Hey, Joe. Um, God was asking the people, come near to me to minister to me. Isn't that wild? I usually don't think of God as needing like ministered to. But I think there is something very mutual in this invitation to worship. Um, and it's, it's so mysterious that it's hard to even kind of imagine like that God is almighty but also vulnerable and affected by, by us and longing to be with us. Such a mystery to come into this glorious, gracious, wild presence of the living God. 
I think the early believers in the New Testament sense this too, um, this anticipation and this expectancy um, that now like the veil of the temple was, was ripped in two and they, and God was present to them like, like right there to, to teach and to touch them with living power. It was so visceral, visceral that some people in the book of Acts like actually died when they didn't, by, by not like acknowledging the reality of the power of God. One of my social work friends, um, co-workers, came with me to worship years ago when I was still working in social work. And um, it's when we were worshiping down at Broaden, Washington. And um, he, he wasn't, he wasn't really, you know, into church. I think he was just being nice to me. Um, but he was really spiritual, and he told me afterward that that he noticed that like something like hot and bright was around the people um, in the room, and I and I said, okay. Um, and this is why my favorite emoji is the fire emoji. Um, because I sense that, that glimpse of power when we worship together too. Um, I know I've told you guys the story before, but this, was a, this used to be a funeral home. So I was uh, there, and there was a bunch of drama when we first moved in, and I was a little freaked out before we... Like, what had we gotten ourselves into? But the first Sunday that we worshiped together, it, I, had, I just felt, without a doubt, I felt like I could see that the power and the love of Christ was greater than all of, all of the death, all of the fear, all of the whatever had happened in here, and that we, that we had nothing to worry about. The Spirit of God is powerful. And it takes just a few people showing up in, in any of our worship meetings. Um, I think it takes just a few people showing up with some expectancy um, for like the presence of God to be like living and alive and, and meeting us. And that really creates, even if just two people are in the room with that kind of awareness of God's presence, I think it really creates... Um, an atmosphere for uh, less distraction, more, more awareness of this silent and loving presence. Jesus is the leader of worship. And, and my pastor friend Joshua Grace used to say that Jesus was leading worship from the cross. That was the main thing he was doing, and I think that he was right. Um, I was so pleased to discover this uh, Gustav Klimt piece that I never, I love that guy, and I never saw that he had done a piece of um, a crucifixion in the garden, um, implying this regenerative nature of Jesus' sacrifice. Though I wish that Jesus' skin tone had more melanin in the painting, because I, as as Jesus is actually did, but Jesus is still leading worship now, um, not not just as savior, but as prophet and king. 
showing up to call us into righteousness and love that is greater than the power of our sin and struggle and sorrow. And we, we can expect to be changed. We could even expect for miracles to happen, like in the midst of our suffering. We should expect to experience the book of Acts, not just read about what happened in the past. God is still at work. So how do we practice this, the discipline of worship here in closing? Um, this might be really overly simplistic, but I really, I really hesitate to like codify it more because we are working with the transcendent power of God um, who moves in ways beyond our own. Like Jesus talked about the spirit as like the wind. You can't, you don't know where it's going. Um, you can't predict it. But here's what I think we can do. We can show up to spaces with others who are seeking Jesus and that's not to say that you can't worship on your own. I was at Planet Fitness this morning listening to my little worship music, um, and that was meaningful, but I, I think it's better together. Even when, like, we're singing out of tune and, you know, whatever's happening. And then I think it matters to acknowledge God's living presence, like, personally. Even though we're having this communal experience we're also having an individual experience with God all the time, and I think the posture of our hearts matter. Um, and finally, be open. Be open to whatever God might want to say to you. Be open to surprise, to silence. Maybe you might not hear anything for some seasons of your life. I've no, I know I've been in those seasons. And I think everyone has. And, so, and in those seasons, when God feels really quiet, and we, we're not hearing anything, the community can carry us. I know Mother Teresa went through like a season of like 40 years like that. So don't despair if you're in one of those. Stay open to any kind of revelation in your seeking Jesus. And of course, be open to love. That is the heart of God. And I think we will be shocked by the depth of it if we keep looking in Jesus' direction. So let me pray for us as we um, come to his table together. God, we need your love. We long for more love in this world. Um, to bring hope to all of the pain and the struggle within and around us. Thank you for your presence. And I pray that you would reveal yourself more and more. Give us courage to come to you with our needs, to be vulnerable with each other. Help us to grow in trust, um, especially especially apply healing, Jesus, to um, the hard things that we've been through, each one here, um, that, would make it, that, that makes it difficult to trust you and uh, a community of seekers. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit 
in the ways that we need, in the ways that our neighbors need and our city needs. This week, this month, this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.